We're doing a little series on, we're calling it Redeemer 101, or really 102 and 103. Tell you a little bit about that in a second. What I'm going to share with you this morning is nothing new, especially if you've been here at Redeemer for a while, but hopefully to encourage you, the book of Revelation is coming. Not this week, not next week, but the following Sunday, Lord willing, August 28th, we're going to begin a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. That's interesting. I've been here for 14 years, preached through lots of the books of the Bible, and nobody has ever said, hey, Mitch, i got a commentary for you. Hey, you want me to pass on some notes that I've got for you? Already, and we haven't even started, I've had somebody give me a, a commentary on the book of Revelation. Another guy said, hey, i got a bunch of notes. I want, would you like me to send them to you? You bet. Send them along. Uh, one of the ladies said, hey, we, we studied it with Tina. I've got all of Tina's notes. Would you like me to pass those along? I've got Tina's notes. You know what's funny about the commentary I was given, this set of notes I was given, and this set of notes I was given? All three of them different takes on the book of Revelation. I'm reading through a commentary right now. It's a fourth take on the book of Revelation. We could stack up books 20 high, and guess what? It'd be about 20 different takes on the book of Revelation. So if you have a thought in your mind, oh, good, Mitch is going to give us all the right answers. You're crazy. You're crazy. All 20 or whatever we want to say, though, those that believe the Word of God, there are some things that are really, really clear in the book of Revelation. Those are the things that we want to major on, even as we tackle some of the things where we go, you know what, we're just not sure about this. But there's lots of things we can be sure of. And there's one great promise that the book of Revelation gives that really no other book of the Bible explicitly gives. You're blessed if you hear it and heed it. There's a blessing promise to the people of God who hear the book of Revelation and who heed its message. So, crazy or not, I'm looking forward to it. And I hope that you are too. Our hope at Redeemer is that all of God's people would really do at least four things. You've heard me say them before. Number one, make the worship gatherings on Sunday a regular rhythm of your life. Gather together with God's people to love one another, to sing and worship Him, and to hear from His Word. Make worship gatherings a regular rhythm of your life. Beyond that, though, we would hope that each and every one of us would be in a community group or discipleship group or a small group Bible study, a place where you go from rows that you're in right now, if you will, to a circle, a place where you can gather with others and not just listen to one person talk and then get up and go home, but rather develop relationships with one another, develop friendships with one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, and all those sorts of things. So worship gathering, community group, discipleship group, Third, and you heard a lot about it already, we'd love for you to be on a service team, using your gifts to be a blessing to the body of Christ. 
kids ministry, student ministry, worship ministry, greeter ministry, missions ministry, outreach ministry, whatever it might be. Put me in, coach. I want to play. I want to be a blessing to others in my church family. And then finally, mission circles. Worship gatherings, discipleship groups, service teams, and mission circles. We talk about my circle, our circle, and the world. We want to live on mission with Jesus. Between each of those steps, we're trying to offer some help. Worship gatherings, and then Redeemer 101. It's a class. You come and you hear about Redeemer, its history, its doctrine, its leadership, its ministries, this, that, and the other. You get a chance to ask some questions about the church. Redeemer 101 is meant to help people decide whether or not they want to make Redeemer Community Church their home. And we sure hope that they do. They become members, and then hopefully we can get them plugged into a community group. It's Redeemer 101. If you hadn't been through 101, if you'd like to learn more about Redeemer, uh, consider becoming a member of Redeemer. Keep your ears open for the next 101 class that we offer. Redeemer 102. We haven't offered it yet. That's why I preached two messages on it last week. Wanted to kind of put us all through Redeemer 102. And it's hopefully a place to learn more about the teams that we have here at Redeemer, but also learn how God has gifted you and shaped you, if you will, for ministry, your spiritual gifts, your heart for ministries, the abilities you bring to the table, your experiences that God has used in your life to shape who you are. And maybe that'd be an opportunity for you to discover more about what God has done and wants to do through you, and then hopefully through that get you plugged in to serving on one of our teams. 103 is hopefully encouraging, equipping stuff to help us live on mission with Jesus in my circle, our circle, and the world. If you've been around, you've heard a lot about that. So I don't think I'm going to share much new today, but I hope it's one of those reminders, and I hope it's an inspiring reminder to each and every one of us. Shared an illustration from N.T. Wright a couple of weeks ago. Imagine if a lost Shakespearean play had been found. Nobody had ever seen it before, and almost all of it had been found. In fact, Act 1, 2, 3, 4, the first part of 5, and all of 6 had been found. That Shakespearean play is given to a group of Shakespearean actors, and they are asked to take a good look at what's been found. Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, first part of 5, and all of 6. And in light of what they study, improvise, play out to the best of their abilities what they think Act 5B should look like. In light of where we've been in Acts 1 through 4 and first part of 5, in light of where we're going in Acts 6, let me learn the culture, the language of Shakespeare. Let me enter into this story as best I can to understand where it's coming from and where it's going, and then improvise, live out these Shakespearean authors. Act 5B 
as best they can. And of course, N.T. Wright then applies that to the story of God's people in the Bible. Act one, that God established his kingdom in the creation of all things. Genesis chapters one and two. God establishes his kingdom. Act, act one, act, act, I'm sorry, act two is then rebellion in the kingdom. It's the fall in Genesis chapter three, sin, and how it affected mankind's relationship with God, mankind's relationship with one another, mankind's relationship even to the created order. That with the fall of man into sin, everything got broken. Act three, the king chooses Israel and initiates his redemptive plan. That God is going to choose a nation or did choose a nation through whom he would bring the savior of the world. The Messiah, the deliverer, the redeemer. Act four, the coming of the king and redemption accomplished. That Jesus Christ comes in fulfillment of promise to accomplish redemption in view of making all things new. His life, his death upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, his rule over all things, his giving of his spirit to his people, initiating the redemption or accomplishing the redemption with the view towards completing it. Act five, the spreading of the news of the king and the mission of the church. That Jesus has lived and died and risen, ascended to the Father's right hand, given his spirit, and commissioned his people to take this message of the king to the ends of the earth. Act 6, the return of the king and redemption accomplished. That one day Jesus Christ will return. And one day he will make all things new. He will complete the redemption initiated in the Old Testament, accomplished, if you will, in his life, death, and resurrection. He will complete it with his return. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that that Act 5 piece, the spreading of the news of the king, we really get in the Bible, we get Act 5a, the book of Acts. But we really don't get the rest of the story until Acts 6, the book of Revelation that we'll be looking at in coming days. And so, you and I are meant, like this illustration encourages us, in light of all that we know about Act 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5a, in light of what we know is coming in Act 6, how are we meant to then live our lives today? I want us to breeze through the book of Acts 
show you some things along the way, and then pick up on something at the very, very end. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. Four different authors writing to four different audiences from four different perspectives. But on the whole, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. His birth, his coming on the scene, his miracles, his teaching, his compassion, his love, ultimately his rejection, death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension into heaven. And then we're left to, to wonder, well, what happened after that? And it's the book of Acts that tells us. In fact, it is Luke, volume two. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts, he picks up where he left off in Luke. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is risen from the dead, gives his final instructions to his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke picks up on that story. In chapter 1, Jesus is alive from the dead. He's spending time with his disciples. He is teaching them about his kingdom. And they ask him, in verse 6, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside, stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And so already here in the first couple of paragraphs, if you will, we get the marching orders of the church. Jesus having lived and died and risen from the dead, says to his followers in answer to their question, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Not for you to know. Here's what I want you to know. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm going to pour my spirit into you. And your job is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth to tell people what I have accomplished and the salvation that they can experience, the forgiveness of their sins, fellowship with me, and the promise of eternal life. That's what you are to be about. Then he ascends, and the angels appear and say, what are you guys doing looking up into the sky? He's going to come. It's a glance to Acts 6. Jesus Christ is going to return. So get about what he has commissioned you to do. And so in chapter 2, in fulfillment of his promise, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches and 3,000 people believe. And in 247, Luke summarizes this section of the book and says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
In chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, this gospel that had been planted in Jerusalem is going to expand within Jerusalem. They're going to fill the city of Jerusalem with the message of Jesus Christ. Peter and John heal a lame man in chapter 3. The crowds come. Peter preaches. But in chapter 4, the authorities don't like it. In verse 2, they're greatly disturbed. They arrest Peter and John, and they tell them, you have to quit preaching in this name. And they say, listen, we have to obey God rather than men. But the thing that they were scared about in verse, uh uh-oh, where'd it go? Verse 14, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. We don't want this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread any further in Jerusalem. So let's command them that they can't preach in this name And in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go. So don't preach in that name anymore. We don't want it to spread in the city. We have to keep proclaiming what we have seen and heard. If you do, it's not going to go well for you. They threaten them. But they release them. And they go off and they continue to preach Christ. In chapter 5, this gospel ball, if you will, will, is rolling. And more and more and more people are coming to faith in Jesus. Verse 14, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. And as a result of this, the leaders grab them again, not just Peter and John, but apparently all the apostles, and they say, we told you not to preach in this name anymore, yet you have filled this city with your teaching. What they were afraid was going to happen, that it was going to spread, in fact happened. All of Jerusalem was filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just imagine if Katy, Texas were the same way. Just imagine if Luke could write about Katy one day and say, the believers in Katy filled the city with his teaching. Luke tells us in chapter 6, verse 7, that the word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. It's, it's obvious, but we have to remind ourselves, how was it spreading? I mean, maybe sometimes we think one or two guys were out doing all the work. Or maybe somehow, you know, the Holy Spirit was just kind of oozing his way over Jerusalem, proclaiming the gospel. But of course that's not true. It was spreading through his spirit-filled people, telling others about Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
In 6.8 through 9.31, it goes even further than Jerusalem. It was birthed in Jerusalem, expanded in Jerusalem, and now it's going to go into Judea and Samaria. The surrounding areas and the way that it's going to go is through his people. In chapter 6, verse 8, a fellow named Stephen is going to proclaim the gospel there in Jerusalem. He's going to get killed. Persecution's going to heat up. Believers are going to scatter outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. We see that in chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And what were they doing in verse 4? Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip. So we had Stephen over in chapter 6. Here in verse 8, Philip is going to take the gospel into Samaria. Over in chapter 9, verse 1, Saul is going to get converted. And it's going to be said to him that you are going to proclaim my name even to the Gentiles. In verse chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, said to Ananias, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. At the end of this section in 931, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. God's people, empowered by him, like Stephen and Philip and others, taking the gospel wherever they found themselves. In 932 down through 1224, it's going to go further, even all the way up north into Antioch, such that in 1224, Luke would sum it up and say, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. As more and more people were hearing the gospel and trusting in him, they too, apparently, as this word is being multiplied, they too, empowered by God's spirit and this amazing gospel message of the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God and the promise of eternal life, wherever they found themselves, they told others about it. And in 1225 down to 16.5, it's going to go even further through Paul's first missionary journey, and at the end of it, in 16.5, Luke says the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. It's then going to go even further, and at the end of that section in 19.20, as the gospel goes all around the Aegean Sea, Luke says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And then in 1921, to the very end of the book, the gospel goes all the way to Rome. And having given us these progress reports all along the way, Luke gives us his final one. Paul is imprisoned in Rome, though he's under house arrest. It's a little bit interesting. He's, he's in his own rented quarters but apparently there were Roman guards with him. He's awaiting trial. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. You've probably heard me talk about it before or heard someone else talk about it. The book just ends. One guy said it ends abruptly and unresolved. Did Luke just run out of material? Why didn't he tie it up with a nice little bow at the end? In their book, The Drama of Scripture, Bartholomew and Goheen say it like this. With this open-ended conclusion, Luke is drawing us into the mission to the ends of the earth. In Acts, Luke portrays the ongoing progress of the gospel and the sudden ending in Rome invites the reader into this story to complete the task that is not yet finished. In effect, he finishes with the subliminal message to be continued with you, the reader, as a participant. We are invited to take our part in that mission. In his gospel, in the gospel of Luke, Luke tells the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. In the book of Acts, he tells how Jesus' followers carry on that work in the early days of the church. In this story, we too have a part, for we are invited, urged, to become a part of the story of the church, to follow Jesus and continue the kingdom mission in the steps of his earliest followers. Couple things. So, if you will, the book of Acts is Act 5A in our illustration. A script has been found, play has been found, and we have Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5A, and Act 6, the book of Revelation. And we, the actors, if you will, are now asked, in light of where the story has come, in light of where it's going, to improvise, to do our best to fill out what we think 5B should look like, what we think our lives, our part, should play in this story in light of what we know in light of what's coming. How would you fill it out if you were one of the players asked to fill out the story? What would you do? If you knew the story, if you knew where it was going, What would you do? I think we know. If these guys are right, and they're not the only ones that say this about the end of the book of Acts, 
multitudes of interpreters. And you, you don't need interpreters to do this. You just read through the book of Acts and you go, wait a minute, Luke, why the abrupt ending? Oh, you are inviting me into this story. I'm not just meant to read this and go, that's neat what Jesus did. We're meant to read it and go, oh, he's inviting me into this story to play my part until he comes again. This Jesus, who's been lifted up, will come again, just as you saw him go. In other words, I think, so get on with what he told you to do. I think we know that if we were left with this story and we were asked to play it out as we think it would go, we would seek to do what they did, empowered by the Spirit, live distinctive lives of love and service, and share the good news with others wherever we found ourselves. The Lausanne Covenant was put together a long, long time ago, 1974 along with Billy Graham, John Stott, Francis Schaeffer, Ralph Winner, Carl Henry. From an earlier generation, those are some big names within the evangelical church across the world. It came together in Switzerland, Lausanne, Switzerland in 1974 with the hopes, they said, to reframe the Christian mission in a world of political, economic, intellectual, and religious upheaval. And in many ways, it, it defined what the church is meant to be about together. I encourage you to read it. It still has huge influence. Here's one of the things it tells us about the nature of evangelism. Number four of the Lausanne Covenant, the nature of evangelism. To evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, and that as the reigning Lord, He now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gifts of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. Our Christian presence in the world is indispensable to evangelism. And so is that kind of dialogue whose purpose is to listen sensitively in order to understand. Now, just, just to clarify, I think, what he and they are saying, our Christian presence in the world is indispensable to evangelism. That means the life that you and I live in our neighborhood, in the workplace, at school, Wherever we find ourselves, our presence, the distinctive lifestyle that we live, filled with God's Spirit, people of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that letting your light shine before men is indispensable. 
Our Christian presence in the world is indispensable to evangelism, and so is that kind of dialogue whose purpose is to listen sensitively in order to understand. And so they are encouraging us in light, uh, in addition to, to, the, to the presence we have in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, where we go to school and the like, that we would have dialogue with people far from God that don't know Jesus. And we talk to them and we would listen sensitively in order to understand who they are and where they're coming from. But, it goes on, evangelism itself is the proclamation of the historical, biblical Christ as Savior and Lord with a view to persuading people to come to Him personally and so be reconciled to God. In issuing the gospel invitation, we have no liberty to conceal the cost of discipleship Jesus still calls all who would follow him to deny themselves, take up their cross, and identify themselves with this new community, his new community. The results of evangelism include obedience to Christ, incorporation into his church, and responsible service in the world. How would we live it out if we were the participants called to finish the story? We would live it out by faithful presence and proclamation of the good news that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished salvation for any who will turn from their sins to him for forgiveness and help. That's what we would do. We would need to use our own imagination and use our creativity, but we would actively begin to think where I live, where I work, where I study, where I play, I'm sent by Jesus to finish the story. It's already time. Here we go. Get intentional about your circle. We talk about, let's live on mission in my circle. My circle is where I live, work, play, and study. Get intentional about that. Are there people where you live in your neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school, where you work out at the gym or hang out at the coffee shop who are far from God? Do you know them? Are you praying for them? Are you dialoguing with them, sharing the gospel with them? We'll see, but most likely, Lord willing, so many of you all participated in Awaken West Houston 2022. Remember that? Where you said, yes, I will pray and I'll fast for 30 days. Give me 17 households and I will pray for them and fast for them for 30 days. And you did, as well as close to 5,000 believers all over the city. Praise God. We can only trust that he's at work through those prayers. Lord willing, we're going to do Awaken West Houston 2023. And Lord willing, more and more believers across our city will participate with us. And just so you know, probably what we're going to do is not give you a list of 17 households that you don't know, which is what we just did. Right? You didn't know any of the names that you were praying for, but you prayed for them and you fasted. That's awesome. 
We prayed, we think, for close to every household by name in the city of Katy. But this time, what we're going to be asking you to do is put the names in yourself. People who are far from God that you know, maybe they're in your neighborhood, maybe that's your workplace, maybe they're where you go to school, maybe they're at the gym, maybe they're at the coffee shop, wherever they might be, people who don't know Jesus in your life. And during those 30 days as well, we hope to be able to give um, some encouragement, some strategies, some practical help on how, what do I do having prayed and fasted? What else can I do to build relationship with them and even share the good news of the gospel? Regarding our circle, my circle is where I live, work, study, and play. Our circle is the geography around this church, this facility. And I said this a few months ago. I want to say it again. Calling all entrepreneurial leaders a redeemer. I'm wondering if there's not an entrepreneurial leader among us, faith-filled, creative thinker who could build a team and help us make the gospel more and more accessible to the men, women, and children who live, work, study, and play right here around our facility. Just like it's no mistake that you live where you live, it's no mistake that in 2000, Redeemer Community Church bought this property, even before all these homes and businesses were here. It's no mistake that we are where we are, And we need to have some sense of ownership of the lostness that surrounds this place. And we ought ought to do what we can as a church family to make the gospel more accessible to them. It would be wonderful if somebody in our church family said, yes, we need to do that. And yes, I'll help. I'll build a team and we'll see what God wants to do. My circle, our circle, and then the world. You can pray for the nations. You can pray for our missions partners. You can give financially to support missionaries. You can even go just like some of ours did on this short-term mission trip to Poland. We're gonna learn more from them next week during our worship service this team that just went to Poland, and we've decided that, Lord willing, we're going back to Poland next summer, and so maybe next summer you'll be able to go. Folks, like we said last week, it's just as true for last week's message as it is this one. Jesus Christ commissioned us to go, and he didn't leave us alone. He said, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Imagine if we were to break from here and go out, right? The church gathered and then the church scattered with a, not a real sense of fear, oh, but a real sense of expectancy that the Holy Spirit of God is at work ahead of you, before you, around you, He is at work. Jesus said that his spirit 
would be at work convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Spirit of God is at work in our city. He's at work in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school, where you play. What if we went out with that sense of expectancy that the Spirit of God is at work and the sense of, and He fills me. I'm not alone. He's with me. That we would go out having heard a message like this and the part that we're meant to play with excitement. Wow, this is cool. I get invited into this incredible thing that God is doing. Not just around the world, but right here in Katy, Texas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, physician, heal thyself is what just comes to mind, Lord. Would you help me to live this sort of way? I know the story. I know what you've done. I know what you started in the book of Acts. And I've read Revelation a whole bunch of times. I know that we win, that Jesus Christ is going to return and establish his forever kingdom. I know what you've called us to. And yet I can be just as fearful, just as distracted, just as whatever. And so as we sang and as Matt reminded us, um, thank you that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. That this very day, the mercies of God are new to us. And that we can leave here today excited, expectant that you are at work in our world and that you are at work in our lives to help us, empower us, encourage us to let our light shine through our life and also to speak of the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus. Would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.